The lack of coordination and cooperation among the 18 other co-defendants of the Georgia criminal case not named Trump is staggering. It's spiraling out of control, and Trump learns once again that he is not in charge of this process. Judge McAfee, Federal Judge Jones, and Fulton County DA Fonnie Full Steam Ahead Willis are. The court has said on October 23rd, 2023, yes, you heard me right, trial for two of Trump's lawyer co-conspirators. Fawnie threatens to try everyone in October as others like Mark Meadows try to squirm away and run to federal court. The next chess moves, 15 minute deli counter take a number arraignments for all of the Trumpers, including Trump on one day. Oh, another 15 minutes, bring the next one in. And an epic tug of war over the trial date and location we discuss. Staying in Georgia, Mark Meadows, in a desperate move that surprised most legal analysts, including this guy, took the stand and testified in federal court to try to argue that, as chief of staff for Donald Trump, he was just following orders and doing his job. Where have we heard that before? And gets to try his case in federal court, not state with the other crazies. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here. What happened during the full day mini trial put on by Fawdy Willis's office? What did the other witnesses, including the Georgia Secretary of State, have to say about it? And what issue has hung up the federal judge before he even rules? Then we turn to the biggest, baddest, most dangerous case against Donald Trump, the D.C. Special Counsel Jack Smith election interference case, with Judge Tanya Chutkin presiding. And is she ever? As predicted, she has moved to take control of Trump and the criminal process, bigfooting the other federal and state judges, almost laughing at Trump lawyer Loro out of court with a with his 2026 trial date request, and taking the March 4, 2024 trial date from Fawny Willis all for herself. And she spent a fair amount of time upbraiding Trump attorney John Loro to boot. Her subtle comments and digs and the early date she chose indicates that she knows exactly what Trump is doing on social media and the comments he has made attacking judges, prosecutors, witnesses, and jurors. And finally, a big loss for Rudy Giuliani against Shea Moss and Ruby uh, Freeman is a big win for justice today. Before airtime, Judge Beryl Howell of the D.C. Circuit Court has had enough with Rudy's failure to adhere to rules and orders and failure to produce key documents and not happy that Rudy tried to to, uh, phone in a stipulation and get his way out of sanctions. So she hit him hard today with the civil death penalty. He's been found liable without a trial as a sanction for defamation, intentional infliction of emotional distress, conspiracy, and get this, punitive damages. And even though Rudy Giuliani can try to convince a jury sometime at the end of this year or the beginning of next that they should write, uh, that they shouldn't write a big check in damages to Shea and Ruby, the judge isn't taking any chances. And as part of her order today has an instruction that she is going to give to the jury that will devastate Rudy's case. All that and stuff Karen Friedman, Ignifolo, and I haven't even thought about or rehearsed. Only on Legal AF on the Midas Touch Network with your midweek host, Michael Popak and Karen Friedman, Ignifolo. 
Hi, Karen. Hi, how are you? I can't believe great. how much is going on this week. Whew. And you know, we had a curated as always, yeah. because we could have done 20 stories. We could That's have true. gone into 30 motions, but look at the end of the, and, and some of the people in the chat are like, yeah, do it. <laughs> but you know, we got a show to put on and we try to use our professional judgment to curate the show and to make it so that it's efficient for everybody. I mean, I think people come to the show, one, for the community. You can see it in the chat tonight and, and in other nights. But they also come because they know we're not going to waste their time. And we're going to give them what they need to know so they can have that, the debate that is so critical to justice and to democracy around their kitchen table, in the public square, and everywhere else that it matters. Um, and so that, that's what we're doing. So let's do it. Let, let's, let's go down to Georgia, right? Mm -hmm. Let's take the train to Georgia and talk about what's going on there. You and Ben have done some amazing hot takes, but we're going to give some new information here and some new analysis about that. Let's start with, um, just to randomly select, let's talk about the trial date. Ken Chesbro, uh, I guess that's how he says his name, Ken Chesbro and Sidney Powell, two lawyers for Donald Trump, who like um, are basically saying with like a big t-shirt, I'm not with crazy and pointing the other way. They don't want to be with the other 17. They want their case severed. They want the, the, the indictment split up into different parts. They want their own table for two, or in Ken Chesbro's view, table for one at the ringside of his own trial. And like, forget all the other co-conspirators in my civil RICO. And forget about all the overt acts, 161 of them that are in the indictment. Just try me, me, Ken Chesbro. Just try me for what I did. And Fonnie Willis is going to respond to that soon. But that's the motion that was filed. And then lastly, before I turn it to you to just frame it, we've got this, this tug of war, which Fonnie Willis is winning over the trial date. So Ken Jesbro came out and said, all right, there is a quirk in Georgia law. I don't know why I do these voices when I talk about these people. I don't know if they sound like this at all, but in my, in my mind, they do. Um, there's a quirk in Georgia law that you got to get a speedy. If somebody wants speedy trial, they get it. And they get it within 30 to 60 days uh, based on terms of the court. Um, and so the Fonnie Willis was originally saying March, March 4th, same date we're going to talk about later that Judge Chutkin took for herself. But the, the Judge McAfee said, no, I think October 23rd, which is, I mean, we're in, let's say for all intents and purposes, September 1 here. Okay, that is in October to try the civil RICO case. And did Fawny Willis shrink? Did she say, judge, I'm busy that day or I'm not ready? No, she said, ready. Not only am I ready, I got a better idea, judge. Let's do all 19 on October 23rd. That's how ready I am. Of course, we're going to talk about Donald Trump's reaction to that and everybody scrambling to sever and remove and get away and delay. All right, that's where we are. We'll leave the removal issue for the next segment. But Karen, you've been a, a close commentator and an analyzer of all things McAfee, Fawny Willis, Chesbro, Powell, and the rest. So break it down for us. Tell me what's going on there. And from your perspective and your big experience, vast experience as a prosecutor, you know, let's let's put it, let's make a little bet. What do you think's gonna happen with all these attempts under uh under severance law? 
Yeah, well, it's very confusing and hard to keep track of it all. There's 19 defendants who uh, Fonnie Willis brought one indictment against. And, you know, normally what would happen is all 19 would go, would proceed along the same path. And the judge would give, you know, certain dates for motion practice and other dates for responses to motions and other dates for hearings, et cetera. And, and they would sort of go on their path and, uh, perhaps uh, certain people would plead guilty or cooperate and the case would get whittled down naturally is what normally happens. And if, and, and Bonnie Willis has tried cases with a dozen or more defendants in RICO cases in Georgia. So, so she's not far off here with the 19. Judge might split it in half if it's too big, just because a courtroom is probably not big enough for all those defendants and lawyers and all of that. But, but the judge isn't going to necessarily break it up into 19 trials and make witnesses and everybody do everything 19 times. But here, this case is highly unusual because what's happening is, as you said, uh, People are saying, I don't want to be with stupid. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, they're pointing the finger at each other and they're moving to sever from one another. And so far, what's, wh where we've, where we've gone is Ken Cheesebro and Sidney Powell, two lawyers. Okay. One is team crazy. Sidney Powell is, is team crazy lawyer. And Ken Ch Chesbro was a respected lawyer back in the day. And he's, he's worked with and, and trained under some of the most respected lawyers. Uh, uh, that that there are went to Ivy League school, etc. You know, he's he's lost his mind, but he's at least was a respected lawyer. He demanded a speedy trial in Georgia and a speedy trial in Georgia, the way it works, it's much faster than any speedy trial rocket docket that I am aware of in this country. You have to have a, a jury sworn, which means a full jury, 12 jurors and alternate sworn seated and sworn ready to go qualified jurors is the language they use either in the term the grand jury term slash court term that the case was brought or the subsequent term and so what that where that leaves bonnie willis she has to have a jury sworn and testimony started by November. And so she said, okay, Ken Chesebro, you want your speedy trial? He asked for November. She calculated in her mind, you know, that's not going to be enough time to get a jury because a jury here, you, the defendant and the people, the prosecution, they're entitled to fair and impartial juror, jurors and jury. And so it's going to take a while. You're, they're going to have hundreds of people come in. Some people are going to say, I, I'm a Trump supporter. Some people are going to say, I, no matter what, I could never be fair and, and look at anything Trump you know, I, I can't stand them. So anyone associated with them is guilty. All those people will be knocked off for cause because they can't be fair and impartial, which means look at the evidence for how it is uh, and just only the evidence and leave your biases and prejudices and, and all of that behind. Um, so she asked for October 23rd. You know, I, I think Ken Chesbro was banking on the fact that she wouldn't be ready. She said, not only am I ready, I'm ready for all 19. Let's go. Sydney Powell then raised her hand and said, you know what, me too. I want to go too, you know, and I want to associate myself with the, the real lawyer since I'm the crazy lawyer. And there's been uh, rumblings that John Eastman, also a lawyer, is going to argue the same thing. And, and that looks like a lawyers are trying to separate themselves out from from the from the pack and they want to go with the you know we're, we're lawyers giving legal advice we're not people breaking into the republican committee and and stealing voter data we're not you know 
yelling at the, you know, at the um, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, telling him to find votes. We're not calling, you know, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, you know, heroin addicts and whatever, all, all the other terrible things that uh, are alleged in this indictment, they want to be, they want to move away from, from the really bad facts and just say, oh, you know, I, I'm just a lawyer giving advice. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was a little aggressive, but, you know, I was giving legal advice. Well, what's happened this week is you've got John Eastman, or I'm sorry, um, Ken Chesbro saying, you know what? I don't want to be with Team Crazy. I want to be severed from her. I want to go on my own. You got Fonnie Willis saying, by the way, keep them together because I don't want to try to, first of all, I can't do two cases at once and meet the speedy trial obligation. If you separate them, I need them to go at the same time because I only have this term and next term to do this in and I, I can't be at two places at once. So I need you to keep them together. <clears throat> and you've got Sidney Powell, shockingly, surprisingly saying, I don't want to be with Ken Chesbro. I, that surprised me because I thought she'd want to try to make herself more legitimate and be next to what is a somewhat legitimate uh, lawyer. But, you know, look, Ken Chesbrough is the architect of this, you know, entire, this entire, entire coup in search of a legal theory, as, as it's been called by, by a federal judge. So, I think that I think that she that she wants to be away from him. She's saying, "Look, I was never his lawyer, Trump's lawyer," and um, I, you know, she's really trying to distance herself from this whole thing, including uh, the lawyer that she thinks is the one who are, who uh, was instrumental in doing all of this. So, so that's what you got going on there. You've got this. You know, who's who's going to go? Do you ahead. think they're going to be successful? Do you think, from a prosecutor standpoint, do you think? You know, I listen, Georgia has a little bit different severance law than some other places, and there has to be certain standards that, that are met for due process and for the administration of justice and fair trial. But do you think that, that um, based on what you've read, and I've, you and I have both read the motions, that either Ches Chesbro or Powell are going to be able to sever the case is a different story, I, but, you, it's, but drop and leave behind the other 17 co-conspirators and stop Phony Willis from putting on her big narrative about 161 overt acts that and two predicate acts, at least, that support the, the criminal RICO case that they're all indicted under. I mean, I, I get that they're going first, but they're going first as part of a giant RICO. How, does she, how is she prevented from putting on all her facts about this? Right. And that's he wants that, right? Chesbro and well, Powell. He, he, they want that, but they also want to be able, even if she, you know, she, she charged this giant Rico, which means it all comes in and because they're all charged with all of it. And so it all comes in. The reason what, what they're going to say, though, is first, they're going to argue that it shouldn't come in, as you said, because I'm not, you know, look, I'm not charged with those other 150 overt acts or predicate acts of the Rico case. So I don't want those coming in. They will come in. That's black letter law. But what they'll do once it does come in is they'll say, see, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't, you know, they're going to, they're going to, if I were the defense attorney there, I would say, yeah, you've got 161 overt acts and predicate acts. I'm only charged. I think Ken Chesbro is only charged with, you know, a handful of them. Same with Sidney Powell. And so every time she would put on the evidence, every time she'd put on evidence of, you know, let's say the, what I think is the most damning, compelling evidence will be when Shay and Ruby, when Shay um, Moss and Ruby Freeman testify, because they really put a face to how terrible all this is. 
Um, if I was there, Ken Chesbrough's lawyer or Sidney Powell's lawyer, I would stand up and say, you know, was my client there? No. Ever seen my client before? No. Did he have anything to do with the terrible things that happened to you? No. So sorry for all the horrible things that happened to you, but my client had nothing to do with that, right? Right. And sit down. That's it. Right. Well, so but you're going to yeah, be able but, to distance himself from all of those bad facts, but, right? But, but isn't then now? Look at me. I'm playing the prosecutor. <laughs> now we're doing role reversal. But isn't the prosecutor going to go for some sort of instruction where the jury is instructed that the the reason that this is being put on is because it's part of the narrative and the uh, and the and the um, and the uh, overt acts and the and the and the yeah. uh, and it doesn't matter whether he's personally responsible in a conspiracy. As I keep saying, you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound, and you're ultimately responsible for those things. At least as it relates to the charge. I mean, I was struck, for instance, Karen, by they kept saying in his filing in Chesbro's filing that he's only indicted for seven out of the thirty-four. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but the one you're indicted for is the criminal RICO with 19, 18 other people, of which 161 overt acts. So I don't think that you cover yourself in glory numerically because, yeah. hey, I'm, you know, you, to, to use an uh, inappropriate comparison, you know, if you only have one capital offense, you know, that's enough to put you to death penalty in a certain state. You don't have to have 28 other counts. So I don't really get where that helps him, except in the court of public opinion, which is what they keep trying to do. So the bottom line for you is... They're, they're, these two are going to go alone? Or do you think ultimately McAfee's going to say, all right, you guys are ready. The other ones, who know? Justice, October. Let's put as many on as we can in October, Miss, Miss Willow. Miss, you don't think so? I don't think so. I think he's going to, because look, the others are going to say, I'm not demanding a speedy trial. I right. want to, <laughs> I want wave. to make. <laughs> yeah, I want to I, I want to make motions, right? I have yeah. motion practice I want to do. And, and Fonnie Willis originally suggested next March. And so right. that's, I, I want something further out so I can make motions. I don't want this very fast, speedy trial. And and the other wrinkle in all this, though, Popak, is don't forget, this whole thing could go to federal court. That's the other problem well, a, a here. A lot of it could. A lot of the, a lot of the people could. Well, you know, it, right. I mean, a lot of the people, they all could. The judge could say, you know, Judge Jones, you know, Mark Meadows is making a removal motion in front of Judge Jones, as you know, and testified. Mm -hmm. And I know we're going to talk about this in a little bit. But, you know, that that whole, if he finds that this is, you know, largely should be in federal court, he could pull the whole case up. So that's going to be. Well, not, well, well, wait, hold on. You think you think that that the purely Georgia people like 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 coffee letting in, 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 I mean, like Latham and coffee, sorry, I almost did coffee in Latham County, uh, Kathy Latham and Misty Hampton, who are just so Georgia, because why? Because they took instructions from the president's lawyers yeah. and that, that makes them a federal yeah. officer? Yeah, it, it's it, the, the law says you're either a federal officer or working at the direction of the federal officer. But the other thing, too, is civil cases, the civil law removal, if one goes, the whole case goes. Criminal, it's less clear. But the judge right. could say, you know, the judge in his discretion could find, again, you know, just trying to keep it for judicial economy reasons could say, you know, this is largely a federal case. The whole thing should come up. I don't, I don't think any of it's going to go up, by the way. I but agree. I think, well, it's look, a federal Federal court's not a bad place for Phony Willis either with this kind of judge. 
the jury pool changes ever so slightly from federal to state in in Atlanta. We're not talking about Florida where you know the, he uh, Trump gets a benefit because it's federal because he picks up some counties that are a little bit more red than blue. And you know what? Federal courts know how to try cases. See the proud boys, see the oath keepers and knows how to try big cases and Fawny comes along for the ride and so does Georgia law. All right, we're there. We're in we're in um we're in Georgia, so let's do removal. So uh, I know you and Ben did it, so let's do it here for our audience. We've got Judge Jones, who sets an evidentiary hearing on Monday. A lot of things happen on Monday, right? Judge Chutkin is setting her here, her trial date, and Judge Jones here, the Obama appointee, just a couple of blocks over from the Fulton County Courthouse, says, all right, let's go. We'll do an evidentiary hearing. You got witnesses. Let's put them on. So Fawny Willis, or one of her lead prosecutors, um, very experienced, puts on the case for uh, against the, the removal. And in a, in, a, in a move that you and I will need to talk about, about whether it's a waiver of his Fifth Amendment privilege because he's decided to testify. I'm not sure you can testify when you feel like testifying and not testify later. Mark Meadows took the stand. I was, I, I would have bet money that, that his lawyers would not have allowed him to go on the stand just to try to convince Judge Jones state versus federal because he opened the door there to all sorts of testimony. A, he said, everything I did was at the at Trump's behest. And it was all within my duties as chief of staff. I was just following orders. But at other times in the testimony, he said, oh, I can't remember that. Well, my memory is not that great, uh, and and <laughs> which is not great for him. Uh, and, but, and then, of course, Fawny Willis puts on the Secretary of State for Georgia, who talks about and they play in the courtroom for Judge Jones, the now infamous phone call by Mark Meadows and, and Donald Trump about can't we just find 11,780 votes and throw them out and give me the state. And and Raffensperger Perger testified to Judge Jones. He saw that as a purely political phone call. He didn't see that. He saw it as a campaign phone call. Um, so at least the person on the other end of the receiving line testified to that. What do you think about Meadows testifying? We'll save for the end what Judge Jones where his thoughts are because he's asked for briefing on a certain issue before he renders his ruling. What do you think about Meadows testifying? And what do you think it means for his Fifth Amendment assertion down the road in the actual substantive criminal case? Yeah, look, this is a, to me, this was a big Hail Mary move for Meadows. He, he's just looking at this as, look, all the evidence is pretty much out there, whether it's in the Jan 6 report, the emails, recorded calls, text messages, you know, his defense is what it is. There's not much he can do about what his defense is since so much of it is is recorded and out there. And so I guess he took the calculated risk to himself as I'm getting out there now, I'm putting it all out there now. And, and might as well try to convince the court to get me to remove me to federal court, because if he gets removed to federal court, that's step one towards getting the ultimate what he's looking for, which is uh, immunity or dismissal because of the supremacy clause. It's not all it doesn't get you all the way there, but it gets you part of the way there. Um, And so that's what his ultimate goal is here. And so he's just putting it all out there in this this Hail Mary move. And, you know, I would have said to you 100% that everything he said under oath can be used against him at trial uh, in his criminal case. And I thought that was the law clearly. But I was talking to somebody uh, the other day who was telling me that because this was a civil hearing, 
even though it's in the context of a criminal case, it was a civil removal hearing that he, his statements may not, may not be able to be used against him, but that again, the law is unclear and it needs more research. But I normally, what I've seen is when somebody testifies under oath in court about the matter that you are being prosecuted for, those statements can come in against you. But I guess he's not concerned with it because normally a defendant would, would want to wait and see what the evidence is and want to see what, uh, let Fonnie Willis her case on and, and see what the evidence is and then make the decision whether or not to testify. But this is his putting all his eggs in one basket, yeah. hoping to get his case dismissed. And I would have said, no way this is happening, no way removal, but there's two things. Number one, I still don't understand what's going on with Jack Smith. Is he cooperating with Jack Smith? If not, why isn't he an unindicted co-conspirator? Because he clearly was in the mix and involved as much as any of those other unindicted co-conspirators. Does that mean that Jack Smith has already decided that uh, there's an executive privilege to all of this and that maybe it would be a Hatch Act prosecution, but you can't be prosecuted for these crimes because of executive privilege and therefore it would be supremacy clause? I mean, you know, I, there's, there's, if you game this out, there's some game, there's some version of gaming this out that we haven't figured out yet that we have to figure out because otherwise it makes no sense. I don't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say he knows whatever this is and whatever this, this, this game is. And so that's why he's doing this, but I don't think it's going to be removed because I think that number one, uh, everything he was doing was for candidate Trump, not president Trump. So I don't think there's going to be enough. Yep. However, however, I think that this judge is going to think long and hard about whether Trump will then appeal that, I'm sorry, Meadows will then appeal that all the way up to the Supreme Court, who obviously is very heavily MAGA. And I'm sure he's not going to want to A, get reversed, but more importantly, B, not let this get delayed, which is all that does. So anyway, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, let me unpack a few of those things because we threw a lot in there. The main argument that Mark Meadows is going to make, regardless of which court, is whether he has immunity under the supremacy clause, not to be confused with executive privilege, and that because he's a federal officer under the separation of powers provision of the supremacy clause, he can't be sued for doing his job federally. The problem with that is it's sort of an upside down argument. The reason for supremacy immunity is to prevent states and state prosecutors from interfering with federal functions. Here it went the other way. A federal officer is alleged to have interfered with state election law and state election process. So it it turns it, it you know the public policy behind the supremacy clause is sort of turned on its head. It's not that the that, that the feds need protection from Georgia. It's that Georgia needed protection from the feds in the hands of Donald Trump. So he's got a big problem with that argument, although he's making that argument, and the others will try to make it too. He'd rather make that argument, Mark Meadows, in federal court than in state court. One, because McAfee, the judge in, in Georgia, is like 34 years old. He just got on the bench, doesn't really have federal experience, and like they don't want to like try a rookie. At least they figure if it's not Judge Jones on the federal side, at least the 11th Circuit, which is the federal court that sits over him and Judge Cannon, because Georgia and Florida are in the same appellate district, and then the U.S. Supreme Court fast track, they'd rather be over there in that lane than in the Georgia lane. And that's so where you have all that 
going on. And and so they're desperate, as, as you pointed out, Karen, to try to make that happen, including taking the risk that Mark Meadows' sworn testimony in the removal hearing could be used against him by Fawny Willis in the other case. Now, I'm not sure he said that much. That would ultimately, doesn't mean he has, does not mean he has to take the stand in the criminal case, but she could, I think, read aloud certain of the statements that he made in the Q&A cross-examination by her, by her prosecutor, by her team against them. But that will leave that academic argument for another day. But, but that is the fight. And then we've got the bigger fight, which is how many, and I want to get to the question Judge Jones asked, how many of the other 17 or 18, including now Donald Trump, which I think there's a good argument he waived his right to go because he's also at the same time seeking relief from the state court. There may be a waiver argument. He can no longer seek federal removal. But Sadow, his Stephen Sadow, his new lawyer, has indicated that he's going to be filing a, uh, he's kind of watching, he's, he wants two bites of the apple. Let's see what happens with Meadows. If I get a good ruling with Jones, we're going to file a motion for removal. We're going to go to federal court too, even though it's a, uh, I know people don't like on the chat be saying this, it's an Obama appointee who's sitting on the on the bench. Now, having said all that, Judge Jones is struggling with something. And this is where we'll wrap up this particular segment. Judge Jones is struggling with, I think he's concluded based on a question he's asked. He's given the lawyers a homework assignment after the hearing. It was a full day hearing. The homework assignment is to brief, meaning to put into writing with research and send to him the competing analysis as to whether do all of the overt acts that are alleged against Mark Meadows. Now, I said there were 161 listed for the conspiracy, but not all of them relate to Mark Meadows. There's like six or eight of the 161 where Mark Meadows' name is mentioned. And the judge is struggling with, I think he's concluded that some of them, a lot of them, are political, meaning outside the color of his federal job as chief of staff, his scope of, scope of duties is his job description. But he's struggling that a couple are borderline or may fall into the category of um, uh, being part of his job as, and therefore federal color of his office and therefore giving him the right to remove. So he's asking the parties to brief. If I find that some but not all of the acts that are alleged in the indictment are um, uh, federal office work, color of his office, does that, do I have to do a removal or not? And look, I think the answer to that, I think the answer to that is under the case law, the heart of the case, the heart of the allegations have to be either in one bucket or another, political campaign in nature, chief of staff, regular stuff in nature. And if you have a hybrid, I think that goes to non-removal. We, they talk about it as the gravamen the gravamen of the action. Is it, what is the nature of it? What is the essence of it? Is it all things political when you look at it on balance or is it, you know, or is the hybrid mix so mixed that you can't tell? I don't think so. I think it, it leans, the gravamen leans towards the political. That's why she put on, funny was put on Raffensperger. That's sort of the case law. But what did you think, what did you make, Karen, of Jones's question? What is? What do you think that indicates about where his head is at? And what do you think once he gets an answer, assuming both parties brief this issue, what do you think he's ultimately going to do? Yeah. So look, it's interesting because, you know, there's, there's overt acts and there's predicate acts. And it's, if you're confused already, you're not wrong to be confused already. What's the difference and what are they? So there's RICO and then there's conspiracy. RICO requires predicate acts, 
acts, which means the acts have to be crimes, right? You have to commit at least two of the crimes that are listed under the RICO statute uh, in order to be part of a RICO enterprise in addition to the other elements. But those are criminal acts that you have to commit. Overt acts are the things that you do in a conspiracy uh, that are steps towards completing or doing the conspiracy. And they don't have to be criminal. So for example, Popak, you and I are gonna rob a bank. We talk about robbing a bank, our conspiracy, we agree to rob a bank, we identify the bank, we talk about how we're gonna do it. And then I Google rental cars and I rent a car for the day, just give a credit card because that's gonna be our getaway. Uh, our getaway car. That is an overt act in the conspiracy. It's a step towards completing the conspiracy. Obviously renting a car with a credit card is not criminal in and of itself. That's, the, that's what an overt act is. You're not committing a crime, you're just committing a step. And so Judge Jones, so in the 161 count or the acts, I would say, within the RICO count, it's a mixture of predicate acts and overt acts, and they're they're mixed together, and some are both. You know, she even, but she identifies in there. Count twenty three is both a predicate act and an overt act, and count twenty four is just an overt act. You know, like I'm making those numbers up, but she identifies what's what in there. And what Judge Jones asks is, and, and different people are charged with different ones, by the way. And what Judge Jones has asked for is a briefing just on this one question, whereas if the RICO count has overt acts, meaning these non-criminal things in there, would a finding that at least one, but not all of the overt acts charged occurred under the color of Meadows office be sufficient for federal removal of a criminal prosecution? And so that that's really an interesting question. And I think that because it need not be criminal, I and, and for the reasons you just said, I think that the answer is no, it does not require removal. Also, conspiracy in Georgia doesn't even require overt acts. So by the way, Fonnie Willis can just excise any acts from her conspiracy slash RICO count one that happened to fall in that category that would make them removed. And so I think that because she can do that and it's not necessary for a conviction against anybody in order for this case to succeed, I don't think it's required. And in addition to that, there's, um, there are some people who work for this organization called Just Security, and they're very smart lawyers, and I know most of them. And one of the things they do, if you uh, go onto their website and you look at what the work they're doing, one of the things that they do is they, in real time, try to research these issues and they put them out there. So for everybody to see, including lawyers, litigators, prosecutors, you know, to be a helpful resource and for judges and for us, you know, so that we can all talk about these issues and, and get it out there. So everybody is armed with information. And what, what they have said is no, it would not require removal for the reasons you, you just said, uh, Popak, about how it's not the gravamen or the heart of the crime. And so I, I, I think you're right with the law. And I think that that's where, uh, where they will ultimately land, potentially, I still think at the end of the day, the, you know, 
in the back of his mind, the judge's mind, is he's thinking MAGA Supreme Court, MAGA Supreme Court, MAGA Supreme Court. That's the only risk I think here that he's not going to want. He's he's making that calculation, in my opinion, uh, about whether or not you know because you can you can make a finding either way. You could say some, most of these things are clearly for candidate Trump therefore not within the jobs description of federal officers, right? But if you wanted to say, look, this is a federal election and it's murky, he's the president and, you know, he he does both things at the same time. If you wanted to find a way, a hook to get it into federal court, he could, if he's worried about uh, the Supreme, about the MAGA Supreme Court. That, that's what I think. That's the only caveat. Otherwise, if we weren't worried about the Supreme Court, I would agree 100% this is not getting removed. I think you're on mute, Popak. Oh, it's too bad. I did a great segue there. We <laughs> take Popak. Popak comes back from uh, from something else. Take two. Um, we're going to talk more about. I was like, are you having a Mitch McConnell moment? I mean, I oh, know that's terrible. That, no, but that, I, I thought I was. I was like, oh my god, I can't. Hear. No, because I was like, oh my god, I can't. You hear do him. me a What's favor. Happening? Will you do me a favor? If I'm still doing this 30 years from now, and at some point I just purse my lips and stare off into the distance, will you cut the commercial? <laughs> no, I don't mean to laugh. I, but I, in my head, I was like, "Oh my God, is that me? Is something happening?" Yes. You know, I thought it was hearing? my hearing. Well, ben, Ben, last Saturday did like all like all five minutes, <laughs> right before he looked up and realized that he was on mute, and then said, "Oh shit." Okay, yeah. so we're gonna get to uh, Donald Trump and his problems in D.C. with Judge Chutkin. We're gonna talk about Rudy Giuliani, holy schmagoli, uh, and his problems with Shea Moss and. And uh, Ruby Freeman, because he's just lost the case before he's even stepped out in front of the jury. And we'll talk about that. Uh, and we're going to do all of that. But first, you know where I'm going, a word from our sponsor. Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. Look, everyone knows how annoying cheap razors are. The cuts, the irritation, the frustration. And don't get me started with subscription razor services, the headaches that those can cause. That's why you got to meet Henson Shaving. Henson Shaving is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer that has made parts for the ISS. That's the International Space Station and Mars Rover. And now they're bringing precision engineering to your shaving experience. Razor blades, they're like diving boards. The longer the board, the more wobble. The more wobble, the more nicks, cuts, and scrapes. A bad shave, it isn't a blade problem. It's an extension problem. By using aerospace-grade CNC machines, Henson makes metal razors that extend just 0.0013 inches, which is less than the thickness of human hair. That means a secure and stable blade with a vibration-free shave. It gets better. The razor has built-in channels to evacuate hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. Seriously, Henson Shaving wants the best razor, not the best razor business. That means no plastic, no subscriptions, no proprietary blades, and no planned obsolescence. The Henson razor works with standard dual edge blades to give you that old school shave with the benefits of new school tech. Once you own a Henson razor, it's only about three to $5 per year to replace the blades. My first shave with the Henson razor was incredibly refreshing. The design is sleek and the durability is top notch. The Henson razor is truly so much better than your run of the mill quote unquote traditional razor brand. And the affordability factor is absolutely game changing. No more wasting your money on expensive blades. With Henson shaving, you can get a year of blades for just $5. 
Okay, so this is what you have to do. It's time to say no to subscriptions and yes to a razor that'll last you a lifetime. Visit hensonshaving.com slash legalaf to pick up the razor for you and use our code legalaf and you'll get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure to add them to your cart. That's 100 free blades when you head to H-E-N-S-O-N-S-H-A-V-I-N-G dot com slash LegalAF and use code LegalAF. And now back to the video. There's nobody that's more enthusiastic in doing ads than Jordy Micellis. I will give him that every time. Uh, <laughs> am I right about that? I was thinking during... I was thinking during the commercial break about Mitch McConnell. I don't know why. I did have a moment when I watched it because I saw it on the clip before we started. I was thinking it, it looked like a scene from uh, Westworld. I was waiting for two guys in white lab coats to take him away to reprogram him. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're, sure. we're not, I mean, all kidding aside, we're not going to have Mitch McConnell to kick around much longer. He, he looks like he's circling the drain and we'll just leave it at that. Um, we, Look, I, don't, I, I feel bad for him, even though I think he's- yeah, I don't, you know, I don't wish anybody body. death. Okay? No, I don't. I, I can't help but feel bad for it. It's terrible, yeah. but he has to step down. He has to. Yeah. Yeah. And he should take, to be fair, because we don't blow smoke or sunshine, he should take um, a Dianne uh, Feinstein with him. I mean, 100%. they should both. They both time. should. It's yeah. time. Yeah. It's embarrassing yeah. to watch for democracy. Both sides should take, should, should corner them and say, you I know agree. What, it's sort of time to go. And she's got nothing to worry about. She's got a California governor that'll make the appointment and he has nothing to worry about. He's got a Republican governor to make the appointment. Do something that's right for justice, be states people and step aside. All right. That little commercial break uh, brought to you by Karen and Michael. Uh, let's move on to my favorite judge of all the judges that we talk about has been for a long time, Judge Tanya Chutkin. I saw this coming, not that you didn't, Karen, Ben didn't, you got, we all did, that she would eventually bigfoot the other judges and tell the world that she is in charge, even first among equal, even among the other judges. I said three weeks ago that there was a little discussed provision of the code, the canon of judicial ethics. Yes, judges below Supreme Court justices have to abide by a code of ethics. And in there, it allows judges for the administration of justice to talk to each other and call each other. And I said, I bet you she's going to start calling the other judges and tell them that to clear out, she's taken the date that she wants. And now in your favorite place, we, she may have called other judges, but we know from the New York court system, because a very helpful spokesperson for the New York court system came online and said that they spoke, that Judge Chutkin's chambers called Judge Mershon and that they had a conversation that they would not reveal. We know the conversation. The conversation was, hey, Juan, it's Tanya. <laughs> I, you got a trial at the end of March about Stormy Daniels. I really want to take March for the big, fat, election interference case against the same defendant. What do you think about stepping aside? You okay with that? And he said, yes. So we know that phone call happened. Do you think, and that's how she got, and I think she actually took it away from Fawny Willis too. Fawny Willis was hoping for that March date. And then her judge took that away and said, what about October? And then while she had her back turned, this is my, this is my artist rendering. While Fawny Willis had her back turned, uh, Tanya Chutkin said to her staff, what's left? What's Fawny doing? Fawny's doing October, maybe? She's giving up the March. I'm taking March. Go call Mershon. Line up that call for me. I want to get March. I want March because I'm not giving 2025 or 2026. I want something 
it is important for justice and democracy to have this to have this trial, particularly against one defendant and four counts, Donald Trump, before the primaries and the election. And I want to take that date. Go make it happen. Do you think her step? We know she called Mershon because it was reported that she did. Do you think she called McAfee and or Judge Cannon's chambers down in Florida? No way. You don't no. think so? No, look, this is no, absolutely not. What I think is, is this, look, regardless of what you think of any of these cases, just from a pure, there's one defendant, four charges, simple case, fairly straightforward case, right? That's her case. And that it's a federal case, it's Jan 6, it's by far, I think, the most serious case of all. So I think that that, and she knows it, right? And and the same thing with like the Stormy case is that went first and that's an election interference case as well. It's also, you know, fairly straightforward, but it's not as serious. No one can really argue with a straight face that it's as serious as, as the Jack Smith January 6th case. I mean, in, in some ways that's, that's, a, that's a, a generation defining you know, case that's, I've been a prosecutor for, you know, my entire professional life. And it's the single most important case I've seen in my lifetime. I can't think of any other prosecution that is as important, as significant, and as momentous as that. And I think she knows that. And Mar-a-Lago is, has some complicated issues, right? It's all about classified documents. And so they have to navigate the, the SEPA, the Classified Information Procedures Act stuff. They have to you know sanitize some of the documents so that they can use it at trial. They have to get top secret clearance to the lawyers. You know, you've got three defendants instead of one that are going to make motions, et cetera. I mean, that case is just by its very nature more complicated than her four defendant, I'm sorry, one defendant four count case, right? Mar-a-Lago has 30 something counts and, and three defendants. So I, I think just looking at it from a cold, like what can be done before the election? And then Fonnie Willis is this huge sweeping, yeah, it's important and it's big, but it's 19 defendants. You've got three trying to get a speedy trial. You got two, you know, one guy's trying to get removed to federal court. You've got, I mean, it's just, that case is just a monster of a case with, you know, hundred page indictment. That, that case is not going to be completed before the election, but her case is. And so she knows that she recognizes that. And so she needed to call Judge Mershon because that's the only other person who really she was bumping up against and said, hey, do you mind if I take your spot? And of course, he's going to defer to her. I mean, judges do that. And it's a federal judge. And and that's what happened. I don't think she needed to call the others. I also don't know that she can trust the others. You know, I, I don't know that she can she can really trust um, you know, you don't want to be you don't want to be seen as a as bigfooting anybody either. So I, I don't think she needed to call the others. So no, I I, I suspect. Wait, she did I, not. wait, I'm following up. That you, I want to. You don't think she can trust Cannon? Is what you're trying to say? Yeah, yeah, I don't. Right, that's I don't. A, that's a that's a stinging indictment of a federal judge. I'm not one that I don't dis I don't disagree with it. I'm just I'm just saying it's a stinging yeah. indictment that yeah, she's I don't like think no. You can yeah, that Cannon wouldn't put it on the record and say right. I just want you to know that I got oh. a call that said. She would totally put it on the of record. Of course she would. Of course she that, would. So. Yeah. And you're not supposed to do it in a way, and see, to your point and under the ethical canons, she's not supposed to do it if she's going to pick up that phone 
Somebody commented in the chat that I think that Judge Chutkin would have been much classier than Popak's impression of her. I'm like, oh, I don't even know. I've heard her speak, but I'm not doing impressions. This is legal AF. This is an impersonation AF. But but um, I, the, under the rules, under the ethics rules, uh, she can't make those phone calls if she thinks it will give or inure to the benefit of a defendant or the prosecution. If she's putting her her thumb on the scale and tipping it in one direction or the other, as opposed to it being an equipoise. She can't do that. She can't make that phone call. And you're right. Maybe that is the third rail and she gets, you know, and stays away from Canada. She doesn't, like you said, she doesn't need her. Her date is in May anyway. I'm taking March. My case will be over by the time her case starts. And she was very clear. I want to, now I want to get to the actual hearing uh, with, with Lauro and what she did to Lauro, which was, I mean, she basically ripped out his heart and showed it to him, you know, the beating heart in her hand. Like, I am not, you know, all the things you're saying, Mr. Lauro, I, I see your 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 mouth hole opening and closing, but all the things you're saying, I don't understand and I'm not buying. Let's start with the beginning. You say that, um, and you and I talked about this, Karen, you say that if you piled all the discovery, all the documents that were provided to you by the government it, and stack it end to end, it would be as tall as the, as the Washington Monument, or we'd have to read War and Peace every day from now until trial. You're acting like your client is, is pro se or, or is, doesn't have money. Your client has money. Your client can hire a team of lawyers, not just the four that are representing him right now. Go hire a bunch of, and this happens in cases all the time, Law firms go out and hire temporary lawyers, temporary paralegals. Sometimes they go to other countries and pick up Indian lawyers who work round the clock at night doing doing this kind of paralegal work to go review documents and put it on a platform. This is how we do it. In electronic discovery, you're not looking at pages. You're up on a platform, an electronic platform, and the documents are loaded there. And then you click, 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 and you, you're able to then put the document into certain buckets, all online, all on a, all on a, a, a platform form, in this case, or a database, usually it's what we call relativity, which is a brand. And you go privileged, or you go hot doc, or you go, this is between Trump and somebody else, or between this witness. And you give a team of you know law clerks the job to do it. So she said, one, I don't want to hear about, like, you can't afford to look, it's just you two guys, you can't afford to, 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 to defend this case. Secondly, I don't want to hear about 2026. Don't even say those words in my courtroom. This is not going in 2026. Justice, this is her words, demands. And speedy trial is not just between the court system and the lawyers on either side. The public has a role and a right and a seat at the table to speedy trial. And it's in their best interest. And she didn't have to say it, but it was obvious, the government said it for her, that was in the room, that she is very troubled and concerned about the things that Donald Trump continues to do and say on social media. And her solution for that, her panacea for that, is to put this trial as quickly as possible. The quicker he goes to trial, just in terms of sheer volume, the less he'll be the less mischief and misconduct he'll be able to do. Give him a year, oh my God, Lord knows what will happen. And she is sensitive that in, to this historical moment that she has to get this tried before people vote in in the in the primaries and for the at least in the general election primaries probably don't matter because it looks like he could do anything and uh, and and will get uh, nominated how subject to and we'll talk next week about the 14th amendment and disqualification but having said that she knows that she's she's no idiot 
her, her, her staff has seen the polls that say 63% of all Americans want the trial one way or the other before they have to vote so they can make their decision. They're relying on the court system to help them understand what happened and whether this man is guilty or not. They're not going to rely on social media and what, you know, what his proxies or his sycophants say on different talk shows at all hours of the day or, or podcasts. Sorry, sorry, podcasts. It's going to be a court of law with evidence and with a jury. And she's taking this very seriously. So she, so she while she didn't agree with the government, she thought that January is a little too quick. As we predicted last week or two weeks ago, she was certainly on their side of the tug of war about, about you know, she's three months off from where the uh, government wanted, but she's 15 months off from where Donald Trump wanted it. So I thought that was great. And also, she's just taking such a firm control of her courtroom and to watch her masterfully, Judge Chutkin, masterfully operate under the rules, under the procedure with, with a command, a maturity and a command is breathtaking to watch. And for those that are tuning in on our live chat tonight and pick us up later from around the world, this is this should be the face and the poster child for American justice because she's doing everything right. Yeah, she really is. She's fantastic. And she, you know, she had to get Lauro into get him under control because he lost his temper a few times. And she told him to take his temperature, take the temperature down. And, you know, I guess he, he clearly was was trying to bully her and put on a show for his client who likes bullies and likes the grandstanding and, you know, for the, also the court of public opinion. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people who are asking, you know, Trump, in fact, said, I'm going to appeal this date. You know, this is a ridiculous date. And John Lauro said, you know, he, we can't possibly be ready. And, and Trump is going to be denied, uh, effective assistance of counsel, which, uh, you know, basically saying, cause we're not going to be able to be ready in time. And so Trump says, I'm going to appeal this. And of course you can't appeal a court date. Uh, it's very discretionary, but he'll find something to appeal. He'll either bring a writ of mandamus to the appellate court, basically saying my due process rights are being violated, or he'll come up with some other legal argument that maybe he'll go straight to the Supreme Court and say, look, you know, you, you have original jurisdiction over me because I'm the former president and they're prosecuting the former president. He's going to find some way to make some argument that will have the effect of delaying things past that date. Yeah. Hill, I agree with you on the delay, but he's he's in the wrong court for that because the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is is predominantly Democratic president appointed. Although occasionally, you know, the the slot machine pulls up two a Trumper and a Busher and a and a and an Obama or a Biden, but generally, um, he's he, there's that's not going to be a, a good environment for him on appeal. And on the Supremes, I mean, look. As much as we worry about the MAGA right wing, by and large, they have ruled against Donald Trump time and time again when he's kind of gone out, colored outside the lines of the guardrails of democracy. They, they, they did not side with him on presidential papers. They did not side with him on any attempt to stop the Jan 6 committee. They did not side with him on anything related to Mar-a-Lago and the search warrant. And you know they sat passively by even when he tried an appeal off the 11th Circuit. So on Pre on former President Trump stuff, 
I, I, I think it's not clear. And I would probably, if I were a betting man, I would bet on him losing that. He could try what he wants. But former presidents are just that. They're citizens at best, citizen Trump. And they don't get special privileges. And Chutkin's made that clear. She said to Laura at one point, I don't know if you caught this because there's a lot of information. Uh, uh, she said to Laura at one time, Mr. Laura, I'm going to treat your client exactly the way you said you wanted him to be treated. You said you wanted him to be treated like any other criminal defendant. And that's how I am going to treat him. And he's just going to have to clear his calendar and clear his schedule and be ready for trial on the date that I've selected, because that's what every criminal defendant defendant has to do. And I don't care, frankly, about his other civil or criminal matters. March for my courtroom. I love that. Love it too. It's nothing better. <laughs> Bring it. So yeah, Bring then, but, but there'll be attempts along the way. But I think he goes to trial March 4th there. And I think I so. motion, motions to dismiss the indictment and motions on this and that and sovereign immunity and all this other stuff with Judge Chutkin, no way. You have somebody that's got you know, a, a two years of experience on Jan 6 matters. She's had dozens of Jan 6 cases in front of her. She sentenced dozens of Jan 6 people. She's made comments about who, you know, indicating how she, what she believes was the instigator for the entire Jan 6 insurrection. She's got well-formed opinions. Yes, she's not biased. That doesn't mean she's biased or prejudged the matter, but she has a brain and she doesn't have to do a memory dump when she walks in against Donald Trump and act like she has judicial amnesia. She's got a body of law that she herself has developed and that exists in the D.C. Circuit Court, in, including the former chief judge. Look at this segue. Get ready. People are going to get whiplash, including the former chief judge, Beryl Howell, who's also the judge presiding over the Rudy Giuliani civil case in defamation brought by Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman. I'm going to set it up, then I'm going to turn it over to let and let uh, Karen Freeman Agnifilo knock it down. Here's the setup. <laughs> I'm using like bowling analogies now. What is happening on this show? It's it, it's 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 sheer chaos. Dogs and cats are sleeping together. All right, here we go. So, <laughs> sorry, I caught you off guard. You're like, you're like punchy tonight. I am you know? punchy. It's been a long work day for me. It's been a long work day. Yeah, exactly. I love I love this. <laughs> I love this. Okay, now Shay Moss and Ruby Freeman were two. I used to call them volunteer. They might have got paid minimum wage. Election workers volunteering for a democracy. Let's put it that way. Because that's a thankless job to be an election worker on election day. I've been a poll watcher and I've worked shoulder to shoulder with election workers. It is a thankless job. All right. And so they were working counting votes in, of all places, Fulton County, Atlanta, Georgia, in the arena. Because, you know, a lot of votes, a lot of precincts come into Fulton County. And they were doing their job as the videos demonstrated because there's video cameras everywhere. And they were counting votes. And when they were done with the ballots, they were locking them in locked black cases underneath the table. And then they were mother daughters. So they were passing each other an occasional refreshment and a mint and a this and a that. But to Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump, they were election uh, uh, forgers who were shoving ballots for Joe Biden that were dropped off from China, I'm not making this up, and shoved them into the machine and taking ballots from under the table because they were rolling the, the video backwards. Um, and they were taking uh, ballots from under the table and putting them into the machine and they were all for Joe Biden. And this is how, uh, this is why uh, Donald Trump lost the Georgia election. And they were passing to each other a thumb drive 
get this, a thumb drive, and that got inserted into one of the machines with the Smartmatic software and the Dominion hardware, and that converted votes from that were supposed to be for Trump. By the way, there weren't a lot of Trump votes in Atlanta, Georgia, but let's leave that aside for a minute, that magical thinking that he was going to win Fulton County, Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, set that aside for a minute. And that that's what they were doing. All right, now, here's the reality. It's the way I described it. They were doing proper counting under the supervision of the county supervisor of elections, and they have bosses that are there. They were counting votes and putting discarded and and uh, and already counted votes under the table in locked cases, as is their protocol. And at one point, they were passing a breath mint between them, which to Rudy Giuliani was a thumb drive. He then went on shows 181 times and said that Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss by name circling them on a video, had committed voter fraud. Um, and that led to them being, the, the, he basically doxed them and they got mercilessly attacked on social media, death threats, the N word, people showing up at their house. The, the, the local officials told them they had to move because they couldn't protect them where they lived. And so they turned around and sued a group of people led by Rudy Giuliani for doing this to them because they're just citizens. They're not even public figures. They're just ordinary Americans doing their civil duty that we should celebrate and not attack. Okay, so having said that, they sue OAN, which is a right-wing media thing, and they sue Rudy Giuliani. They did not sue Donald Trump, for those that were wondering. I don't know why. In retrospect, they probably should have, but they sued Rudy. And Rudy has done everything wrong in front of Beryl Howell since he's been sued. You would think this guy had never practiced law a day in his life, had never been inside of a federal courthouse, nor handled a federal civil matter ever by the way he operated, which is basically as his own lawyer. And having seen a series of violations of court orders, contempt being found, failure to produce documents, refusal to produce documents, he was facing, he was looking down the barrel of a motion for sanctions for default, meaning you've gone so far, you don't even get to try a case anymore. Me, judge, sanction you with finding of liability. That's what he's been, that's been hanging over his head for the last three or four months, but it finally came to fruition today. Karen, take it away. Wow, this is, uh, it was kind of a very big day today because he got bench slapped, as they say. <laughs> he got sanctioned, uh, big time sanctioned. Uh, where the judge basically said to him, I am finding that you are liable for all the counts in the complaint that are brought to by Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss against you, Rudy Giuliani, without a trial. And things like for defamation, for intentional infliction of emotional distress, for conspiracy, for all, all the other charges in there. And the only thing left is going to be damages, including punitive damages. And he found him uh, as a matter of law, he sanctioned him found him liable without the need for trial. And this is because he's punishing him because Rudy refused to provide documents in discovery that he's required to prove in his federal case. He made all sorts of excuses. You know, the dog ate my homework. I lost them. The federal government picked up my devices. All my stuff is on a, pl a platform, like you were talking about relativity, you know, in a legal platform, but it's cost $20,000 a month. I don't have the money to do that anymore. You know, all, all this stuff, just 
excuses. And the judge gave him time three months ago. The judge says, you, you know, you must do this. I'm giving you more time, even though you didn't do it. And he once again refused to turn over those documents, especially those regarding his finances. And that's the thing that I think really the judge honed in on, which is, you know, look, the Rudy, I think that's why in July, when we saw him trying to file this weird stipulation where he sort of admitted to liability, but also refused to admit to liability for the purposes of the stipulation, it made no sense whatsoever, because obviously you either, you know, are going to admit it or not. But then he gave this weird interview where he talks about himself in the third person where he says he didn't admit to anything. Uh, it was just one of the most bizarre, you know, I'm not cooperating because Donald Trump is innocent. Donald Trump did nothing wrong. I didn't admit I lied because I didn't lie. But I, I was just good. I didn't contest the, the lawsuit because, you know, he called it admission arguendo. It happens all the time. Everyone does it. I misunderstood. I didn't lie. You know, it's just this weird third party, but he didn't say I, he said Giuliani didn't do this. Giuliani, you know, he told, he referred to himself in the third person, which I think is just very bizarre. But anyway, the judge said, I, I can't make heads or tails of this weird stipulation. That's not a stipulation. And, you know, so he sanctioned him and said that, you know, his stipulation was not accepted. And rather than fix it, or provide these documents, he didn't do either. He didn't fix the stipulation or provide the discovery that he had to. So the judge basically gave this very scathing order where he said, I'm ordering a default judgment plus attorney's fees plus costs. And, you know, and we're going to go straight to damages. And by September 20th, I, I'm requiring you both sides to meet and confer and propose a date for us to go to trial on the damages. It has to be between Thanksgiving and February of 2024. And this was the second time that he awarded attorney's fees to uh, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, they about $90,000, give or take. And he also said to Giuliani, you, you better turn over your finances this time. Because look, you have this podcasting empire, you have you put out videos, I want to know your viewership, I want to know, you know, the revenues, the distribution, the contracts, you know, your all of your bank statements, everything that you do on social media, I want to know the reach of your podcast, how many page visits there are, you know, all of the details, because why? Because he knows this is simple math, right? He's going to say, he's going to look at, they're going to find every time Rudy Giuliani mentioned Ruby Freeman or Shamas and, and multiply that. Let's say you have a hundred million views or a million views or whatever on one of these, multiply each one of those to come up with his millions of dollars worth of damages and punitive damages. And he'll have to reimburse all the return uh, attorney's fees as well. He said, however, which I thought was the, the most interesting part of this whole thing, the thing that had the most kind of, you know, F you Giuliani. She, she said, it's a shake. You're right. Sorry. Beryl Howell is a she. You're right. right. You know, I knew that actually. I uh, knew that. You're thinking of Mr. Howell from Gilligan's Island. I don't know. I don't know. I knew that Beryl Howell is a she. Uh, I apologize. Um, 
uh, her honor, Judge Howell. Um, the thing that, that, that the judge that the judge said that I thought was the most powerful and that I love the most is the jury instruction. Uh, she said that the jury, if you don't give us this information, I am going to instruct the jury that when you are determining the punitive damages, what is punitive damages? The punitive means punishment. So the damages that are going to be solely calculated to punish you, Rudy Giuliani, I am going to instruct them that you, Rudy Giuliani, are intentionally trying to hide the relevant discovery about your finances for the purpose of artificially diminishing and deflating your net worth you have until September 20th, because if you don't, I'm giving this instruction. I might still give this instruction, even if you do give me, give me this information, but I'm definitely giving it if you don't. By the way, I love that we're ending this uh, podcast the same way we started it, which is all about intentionally inflating or deflating assets, right? That's exactly what we talked about in the beginning. You're, you're, you're on mute again, Popak. I'm going to tie it all together and your head's going to explode. We I have new wait. reporting. We're going to end it on this. Talking about inflation, the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, has filed a motion for summary judgment or partial summary judgment in her New York uh, case under 6312, her executive law 6312, which gives her tremendous powers to go out after continuing fraud. She has probably the most powerful set of civil remedies of any attorney general in the country, not criminal, but civil. And she's now said to the judge, we don't even need a trial. Donald Trump has so lied and it's so easy to prove on an undisputed factual records. Just look at the numbers about at least six or eight of his properties, including his triplex, which is Trump Tower, 40 Wall Street, which is somewhere near where Karen walks by a lot. Um, uh, Mar-a-Lago, right? Uh, the, the Trump Towers, another building at Trump Towers, a property he has with Vornado Group, uh, a developer. That is so obvious that he's inflated by over $2 billion with a B dollars that we don't even need a trial on that issue. We, you should just find as a matter of law that, he's, that Donald Trump has inflated, in this case, his assets. We'll follow it more on hot takes. It'll be Karen, me, or Ben, or all of us, or or two of us will we'll do something on hot takes, but we've reached the end of another episode of Legal AF. Really on a high note, you got the civil side doing its part for justice. You got Rudy Giuliani getting the civil death penalty related to defaming to pure innocent Americans doing their, doing their job. You got Judge Chutkin, who's exerting her influence and taking a trial date on the calendar the day before Super Tuesday, a criminal case. You got what's going on in Georgia where, where Fani and Judge McAfee is trying to keep everybody honest and giving them early trial dates, even earlier than, than, than March if necessary. Necessary. And we didn't we didn't even have to talk about any shenanigans in Judge Cannon's chambers this week. Maybe we'll do maybe we'll do it on the weekend edition. But we've reached the end of, of this. We are on the Midas Touch Network. You know that. You're watching us here. Uh, you can listen to us on audio podcast platforms wherever you get your audio podcast from. And if you really want to help, every way I'm going to describe now to help us, to help the network, to help the content and the programming is all free. Sure, we have merchandise. Salty. Let's put up store.midas.com. We've got the new Legal AF 
T-shirts designed by a friend of Karen Friedman. Ignipolos is a famous sports logo guy. Look at these logos. And I will tell you, they are flying off the shelf. I saw the numbers. They are flying off the shelf. You should get one. That's the only thing you got to buy. Everything else is free. Free subscribe to the Midas Touch YouTube channel. We're pushing towards 2 million. Help us get the 2 million free subscribers on that. Listen to this. Rate us here. The ratings are helpful. Give us a thumbs up. Leave a note. Go and review us on audio. Give us a five-star review. That helps. All of that helps. Audio, video. Go to the new website for Midas Touch, MidasTouch.com. The brothers spent a lot of time on that. They've got a new editor-in-chief. They've got a newsroom. We write for it. When I say we, I mean Karen. Uh, we we combine the, the, the writing, <laughs> the audio, the video, all in one place. You can literally live on the Midas Touch Network all day long on the website and just and have everything there. Or you can do the same thing on the YouTube channel. That's it. That's how you can support what we're doing. We know the people that are watching enjoy what we're doing. It keeps us motivated to do it. But this is the way that you can support us as we're talking to you through our microphones and our screens. Karen, I love giving you. Sometimes you don't like getting it, but I love giving you the last word on the Wednesday podcast. Last word, Karen Friedman. It's a blue moon tonight, right? Everyone's talking about this blue moon, and people are going crazy, and and all of all of that. Is it a stuff. blue moon? All right, I'm yeah. Gonna go look at the blue moon. It's well, it's not actually blue. The reason it's called a blue moon is it's two full moons in one calendar month, and that's what makes uh, it a blue moon. But anyway, I want to. Yeah, so I want to I want to send um, the, my last thing I want to say is I'm just sending my thoughts and prayers, if you will, to all the people who are in the hurricane path and who are, are dealing with all of that right now. And and we I don't think we ever did it to the people that are suffering in Hawaii. You don't mm -hmm. often think of suffering in Hawaii, but 400 people or so are missing and or dead. And we never really talked about it too much. It just came up and we had so much content, but we should be human beings. And um, and I'm glad you mentioned that. So until Wednesday, Saturday with Ben, Mycellus and me, next Wednesday, right back here, same place, same same station, same channel with Karen Friedman at Niflo. I'm Michael Popak. Shout out to the Midas Mighty and to the Legal AFers.